All right. Hello, ward members. Um, Adams Ward is what we're a part of now, and I'm really excited to be here tonight with Kyle Sidaway. Kyle Sidaway, I've known for a long time. It's been a long time. In fact, I think of you as son 1.5 <laughs> because he's good friends with my first son and my second son, so you're my son 1.5. Right in between the two. All right. Yep. I'll take it. Oh, good. Absolutely. Good. So I'm really thrilled that you and Frank here in our ward. So... All right, Kyle, tell us about some of your childhood memories and where you grew up, I guess, and about your about your life. So take it away. Yeah. Um, like I said, I grew up here in Spokane. And, uh, my parents lived in Liberty Lake, so I grew up on Liberty Lake, and I was a part of the Valley Stake. Um, but I went to Green Acres Middle School and Central Valley High School, and it was kind of funny. We moved back here now, Frankie and I, and... There's a lot of people in our ward, similar to you, that I went to school with their kids, or I knew their kids growing up. I think there's, there's like six or seven couples who I, I knew their kids growing up. So it's coming home in a way, and um, it's nice to be back in the Valley. It's kind of where we wanted to end up. But yeah, growing up, I my family was a fairly boring family. We did sometimes family vacations, but we didn't do anything too exciting, and I was a fairly boring child. <laughs> I, I just kind of went to work and went and hung out with Alec and, and a couple other friends and that was it. So it was a good, it was a good childhood though. It was a good growing up. Um, uh, then we, the Northwest I think is, is a great place. My wife grew up in Idaho. Um, and so we all, it's nice to be back and nice to be home. Great. Tell us about some of your hobbies then. What kind of things did you do growing up? Uh, growing up, we played a lot of sports. My sister played, all the sports so I grew up watching her and then I played a lot of growing like when I was young basketball football baseball all of it when I got a little older um it kind of specialized into baseball because I was too short for basketball and too slow for football so um baseball kind of was the natural marriage of my lack of athletic ability so I played baseball and really got into my family I love to watch sports to go to games to talk about them to follow them so that's what we did a lot um Played a lot of video games growing up. I, I still I still do, so it's not the best <laughs> habit or hobby, I suppose. But it, it, I, I find it enjoying and relaxing after after a long day of work, and always have. So I did that. Um, yeah, other than that, it, my life was was sports growing up. So that was kind of the the hobby that I had. And then I worked at Papa Murphy's, and I really enjoyed that. So I got a lot of free pizza, which was which was nice. Um, and cooked at my house. Yes, yes. I get. I think <laughs> a Greg, lot of. I say Greg referred to me as Pizza Boy. I'm not sure that he. I'm not sure he knew my. I'm not sure he knew my real name for a long time. So, um, but yeah, it was good. And those were, like I said, I was a fairly boring child. I had very few hobbies, but the big one was sports, and I'm still very much an avid sports fan. Yes, you, you, and my boys too. Crazy Mariner fans through and through. For better or worse, and it's it's mostly worse. <laughs> Right. So after high school, tell us what happened. Where where did you go? Yeah, I went to, I graduated in 2010, and then I went and I did a year at BYU in Utah. Um, I just did general studies. I didn't declare a major or anything my first year. Just kind of hung out um, and went to school and like, attended all the sporting events. Um, my, my freshman year was the big gymmer for that year for BYU basketball, so camped out for all the games, which was a lot of fun, and um, 
Yeah, so I made a lot of memories my first year there, so I'm glad I did a year of college before my mission. Um, then I went on a mission to Sao Paulo, um, Brazil, and had a lot of uh, great experiences there. Um, I lived right in the center of one of the biggest cities in the world, in Sao Paulo, mm -hmm. so it was a much different experience than growing up in in Liberty Lake, Washington. Um, it's a much different culture and a much different vibe, so it was a, it's a lot of fun to, to be down there for two years teaching the gospel and a lot of growth spiritually and emotionally um, that really prepared me for, for life after the mission. Um, and then I came home and went back to BYU and just kept studying and I, I didn't know quite what I wanted to major in. Um, I, uh, I, there was a couple nights when I got back that I would just look at the list of majors and just kind of scroll through and scroll through and scroll through and kind of just see if there was anything that caught my eye and nothing did. Um, so I just kind of Went a whole another year after without a major, without real direction, just doing all my generals. Um, and then eventually I took an intro to psychology class and it really clicked that that's what I enjoyed. Um, and yeah, so I kind of went from there and I majored in psychology. I met Frankie, my wife, right at the end of my time at BYU. You know, I graduated in April of 2016, I believe. Um, and I met her... I met her the year before, but we were in the same ward, but I never talked to her because I was aloof to most things in life. But um, we started dating in February, right before I graduated. Um, so we dated for a few months um, and then did a long distance relationship because I went off to the University of Nebraska for grad school um, in psychology. And, and then we got married after I was there for a year and she was finishing her student teaching. And then we were in Nebraska for the remainder of my PhD, which was another four years. So graduated from Nebraska in 2021 um, with a PhD in clinical psychology, um, an emphasis in forensic psychology. So then I did a bit of residency to finish the degree and then got a job up here as a forensic psychologist. So that's kind of the, the quick and dirty version of, of after high school for me. So who do you, who employs you right now? I work for what's known as the Office of Forensic Mental Health Services for the state of Washington. So I'm employed by the state. Um, the state employs about 75 forensic psychologists. Um, there's only about six of us on the east side of the state, and we cover the entire eastern side of the state. Um, and a lot of what we do um, is the court mandates <coughs> mental health evaluations for individuals who might have mental health concerns that prevent them from having a fair trial. So they're not competent to stand trial is what it's called. Um, we do evaluations for that. If people plead insanity, we do evalu evaluations for insanity. Um, and then we do violence risk assessments and threat assessment work. So pretty much any intersection between law and mental health is where I sit as a forensic psychologist. So I spend a lot of time in jails, oh. um, drive all around the state and go to jails, prisons, and state psychiatric hospitals. So it's never, never a boring day when you're working with that population. Oh, my gosh. That, like... Kind of blows my mind. Yeah. This, no, little, I, this little boy's grown up. <laughs> no, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, and I, I didn't want to sit at a desk full time. I sit at a desk a lot writing the reports, but a lot of time my time is spent going into the jails and, and talking to talking to the guys in there. And a lot of them have pretty severe mental health challenges, so you never quite know what you're walking into. Oh, um, from day to day, I've had quite a few experiences, we'll say, of... <laughs> had things thrown at me, things spit at me, been told to go certain places many times. And yeah, I love it. It's, I love it. 
love it. It's very, it's different every single day, which is what I wanted out of a career. And so it's, wow. it's really fit well with kind of my personality and, and what I hoped to do. Well, on a kinder note then, a little softer, tell us about your family. Yeah, so we, like I said, we got married in 2017. Um, so the year after I graduated, um, we got married in Jerome, Idaho, in Twin Falls Temple, which is just right across the river, um, which is wherever my wife is from. Um, we got married in 2017, and we lived in Nebraska. It was just my wife and I for the first um, few years. Uh, and then our first daughter was born, Peyton, uh, in February 2020. So that was 2021. Yes, 2021, because COVID was already a year into the swing. Okay. Um, so she is a COVID baby. So she is now just learning how to socialize with other children because she did not for the first year and a half of her life because it was still the height of COVID. But she rocked our world as most babies do. And she did not love sleeping again, as a lot of babies don't love sleeping. So it was a, it was quite an adjustment for us, but we, she is a fireball and keeps us on our toes. So it's a lot of, it's a lot, she's a lot of fun. She's learning and growing a lot every single day. So, and then we have our second little girl is due on June 8th. So in like a month from when we're, we're doing this. So, yeah. So for the record, today's date I usually say is May 17th. May 17th. So yeah, it's getting so closer and closer, which is kind of wild. We are, physically prepared because we have all the stuff. I'm not sure if we are mentally and emotionally prepared to go through the newborn phase again, but we will make it. So we are, we're excited. We haven't picked out a name yet or anything, but um, Peyton is excited to get a little sister. She doesn't quite, I don't think, understand what that's going to do for her life and her world, but she's excited. Um, we're still working on her being soft because she practices, as she says, how to, she's going to help baby sister with her dolls and that usually ends up with her throwing them or <laughs> sitting on them or something like that so we'll we'll keep working on that to hopefully learn how to be a little softer but yeah so our family is still pretty small um Peyton's still very young and but she is full of energy and full of life so we are exhausted most of the time, but it's, it's a good exhausted. We're, we're happy that she's around. Sweet young family. Well, that's wonderful. So tell us then about some turning points that were in, have been in your life and maybe like one or two decisions that have dramatically impacted the course of your life. Yeah, I think there's a couple that, that kind of stand out. One was I had lived in the same apartment after my mission at BYU with the same roommates um, for th the two and a half years after my mission. So I was, all, I was getting pretty close to being done. Um, and we had lived in the same apartment. We weren't really thinking about moving. Um, we were pretty content. We just kind of hung out all with each other and we had a good time and it was a lot of fun. Um, but we, on, almost on a whim, we decided to move um, to a different kind of duplex apartment complex area that not, all of us felt like we should all moved together to this place. None of us quite knew why, um, but we did. Um, I I was the stink, the the stick in the mud of the group. I, I'm lazy by nature, physically. I'm very physically lazy, so I didn't want to move. Moving is terrible. I don't want to pack all my stuff, move it over there, whatever. Um, but we did, and we moved over there, and we moved in right next door to an apartment, um, which is actually where Frankie lived. So mm. that is where I met Frankie. If we hadn't moved. Um, I certainly wouldn't have because I, again, I was a homebody. I didn't really leave my apartments. I think God knew if he, I needed to meet Frankie that I had literally had to be placed right next door because <laughs> I wasn't going to go much further than that. 
to <laughs> to try to to find someone. So so that was one certainly one turning point because Frankie's the best thing in my life and it helps me in everything. So that that is one um, that again by no inspiration of my own because I was very much against the move, but I went kicking and screaming and and it, it was the best thing that we could have done. Uh, the second was where I ended up going to grad school, which was Nebraska, which I honestly, I was not considering Nebraska. I was not thinking about Nebraska. Um, I thought I wanted to go into academics and be a research psychologist. So a lot of the schools I was applying to were much more focused on the research side of psychology as opposed to the clinical side of psychology, which is what I do now. Um, but I, my last year at BYU, I attended all of the away football games for BYU. And one of the games that year was in Nebraska. Um, it was at Nebraska. So we went to the game. Um, and anyone who, has, who follows BYU knows that was the game that it was Tanner Mangum's first game. He came in and he threw a Hail Mary pass and they won at the very end. Um, and, and that inspired me. I was euphoric after that. So it inspired me to look more into the Nebraska psychology program. And and a lot of things that look interesting. They have a very strong forensics program, which was a kind of periphery interest of mine um, at the time. So I, on a whim, again, a lot of things I do in my life apparently are on whims or just kind of spur the moment. So um, I applied and I got an interview and Nebraska was actually the only school that gave me a firm, like, we want you to come, here's a firm offer. A lot of other schools were like, we think we'll have space, kind of more tentative offers because PhD programs, there's not a lot. It's very soft and mushy like that sometimes of you probably could come, we might have funding, so on and so forth. But Nebraska, like, we want you here. We'll definitely have a spot and, you'll, and we'll have funding for you the whole time. Um, so it made the decision very easy of where I was going to go to grad school, which again is very good because if I had gotten a similar offer from another school and Nebraska, I probably would have chose the other school. Mm. Uh, just given that I didn't want to move to Nebraska, it's the middle of nowhere. I'd never been to Nebraska except the game. Um, it was like 99 degrees and 100% humidity when I was there, which was miserable, so I hated that. Um, but we ended up in Nebraska, which we fell in love with the state, we fell in love with the people. Um, we met really good lifelong friends in Nebraska that we wouldn't have met, obviously, if we hadn't been there. Uh, we both had a chance to serve. Frank Garrett called his relief site president of our ward there, and it was the highest needs ward in the entire state of Nebraska, so she was very busy. Um, and had a lot of opportunities to serve and help people, which which helped her grow. And I served as the executive secretary of that ward. So we were both very busy, which was a, a blessed thing to, to have a chance to not have kids yet um, and to really just dedicate ourselves to service and to help others and then hang out with a bunch of other grad students that were our same age and had a similar life path as us. So that certainly was a turning point for the better as well that I think I, I can't be trusted sometimes to make my own decisions, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I made it very easy. That was the only place I could go, so that's where I went. Or and then all my roommates were moving to that apartment, like I said, and I didn't want to be left alone, so I went, I went with them. So um, those two turning points, again, by no merit or credit of my own, that really altered and changed the course of my life for the better. That's great. Thanks. All right, so here's a fun question. How did you gain a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think it's been very incremental um, for me. Um, I've always identified with um, Sam in the Book of Mormon, um, Nephi's brother. 
um, in the sense that throughout the entire first book of Nephi, we read a lot about like these visions and these massive seeing angels and massive hearing the voice of God and these massive experiences that Nephi has um, throughout all of the book. And these are great. And they, they built his testimony. They strengthened it. Um, we read that Nephi, he didn't immediately, wasn't just like his brothers, wasn't immediately on board with his father's plan, but he, he prayed about it and had these massive experiences that were wonderful. Um, but Sam, the only, the only mention we get about Sam and how he came to be on Nephi's side was Nephi told him and he believed him. So a lot of my early life was kind of spent in that. I didn't have these massive grand experiences, um, but other people did. Um, and my family was always attending church and I, I, I believe almost not out of necessity, but, or convenience, but it's just cause that's what people were saying. And that's, so I, so I, I believe them. Some are just saying, like the only thing we get from him is that he was told and the spirit testified to him and that's it. That's kind of how it was for me a lot kind of growing up. And as I did that, as I put my faith in what people were saying, I started to have personal experiences that made it very apparent to me um, that God knew who I was as an individual. Um, very, very small things that I would pray for something small that was very insignificant or something that isn't important in the grand scheme of things. Um, I'd get an answer about... Um, about that thing or something would happen that I had hoped would happen or I was given a new idea of how to do something. So very small things, but that made me very aware that God knew me as a person. Um, and so those were kind of the two foundational pieces. And then as I've gone and I've done the things that I quote unquote, I'm supposed to do in reading scriptures and in praying earnestly and in serving others and trying to come unto Christ, um, it's gotten to the point now that I have my testimony of the gospel. And certainly I couldn't point to a single experience that, that brought it about. I couldn't point to a single moment that I thought I've arrived and now I have a testimony of the gospel, but it's just, it's been a very incremental slow and steady growth that started with just believing what people were telling me. And as I grew older and I wanted more, I had those experiences that God knew me which then grew into experiences to share that love of Christ through service and charity and all those other things with others and to continually grow that on that path. So it's been a very slow process and it's an ongoing process um, for me as well. And I think hopefully it's for everybody that your testimony of the gospel is never done. Um, so I think my, my hope is to continue doing that and serving others and finding ways to new ways to, to recognize God's hand in my life. Cause that's how I grow my testimony the most is when I consciously am able to recognize God's working in my life. So yeah, that's kind of a meandering answer to that question, but it's, that's great. that is my, that was kind of the path I took was a slow one and uh, not one filled with many major moments, but very, a lot, a ton of tiny little moments that really got me where I am today. The next question though is to um, ask is how how have you nurtured your testimony as you as you're growing older and you kind of touched on that and in, also kind of what has caused you to trust in God over the years? Yeah, I think um, there's a few primary things. The one, the, the one way that I I know for me that is a surefire way to to build my testimony and to feel the love of, the love of Christ um, is is by serving others and so that's. I've always told people that if they if they ever 
want to feel the spirit or if they aren't sure if they're feeling spirit and they want to, it, it, the best way to do that, in my opinion, is, is to serve others. And um, some of my most testimony building experiences um, and like the, the manifestations of the spirit telling me that what I was doing was, was right and I was on the right path um, came in, in the service of others, even if it was not necessarily huge acts of service, but small things or just going out of my way to, to help someone do something that might seem insignificant at the time, but meant something to them. Um, so I think the way I nurture my testimony the most beyond just doing the small things like scripture study and prayer that we all know we, we should do. Um, but obviously with life, sometimes it fall by, falls by the wayside for longer than it should. Um, I think finding ways to serve, um, whether it's my own family, whether it's our ward family, whether it's someone I, I don't know, um, is the number one way that I try to nurture my testimony is, is, by, is through that service. Um, I think I found also that I, it never really worked for me necessarily. People would always just say, you just need to, to read, read the scriptures or you need to do certain things and, and your testimony built. And I would sometimes get frustrated that I would like, I would read my scriptures and nothing seemed to change. Um, I think that was, I'm, I'm can be a somewhat impatient person. Um, and I wanted these life altering moments from reading my scriptures for two days in a row. Um, so I think something that also has helped nurture my testimony is that recognition that change comes over, over a long period of time. Um, and I think going into psychology has also helped me to recognize that, that change in terms of mental health for people can sometimes take years of pretty intensive therapy of medication of, of all this stuff. It can take a long time to, to improve, so to speak. And so that's helped me to recognize that my spiritual progression is, is in no way different, that it's going to take a long time for me to truly get where I want to be and to get my testimony where I want to be and to get my relationship with Christ where I want it to be. Um, but that's okay. And that's what, that's the design. Um, it's, it's, there's a talk by Elder Christofferson that I've always liked that, um, when the, when they were wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites, um, God could have given them enough manna to, to just have it for months at a time, but they had to go out and collect it every single day. Um, and that was to help them or might've been to help them uh, to remember God daily and to not get complacent or lazy with where they were. Um, and I think keeping that mindset has been the one also something that's helped, um, nurture my testimony is just making sure every single day I try to do something to draw me closer to Christ. If, even if it's not sitting down and reading verses and verses and verses of scripture, um, reading at least something or doing some active service or having some Christ centered discussion with my wife or, or something, um, doing something every day to keep the spirit or bring the spirit into my life. Um, it's also been something that's really helped me maintain my relationship with Christ, even in moments of difficulty or moments of doubt or moments of um, struggle. Um, that single anchor point is sometimes the only thing I have, um, but it's been very important. So I guess that's the other service and just something every day to, to main, maintain some kind of connection to Christ, even if it's nothing big. Um, Christ and God, I think they love our effort. So as long as we are putting forth our honest effort, that's, that's what matters in the end. That's a great answer. Thank you. So before I ask you the, our last big question, mm -hmm. is there anything else that maybe we've missed and you want to touch on? Anything you want to add? I don't think so. No, I, 
we were very happy to be in the Adams Ward. We 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 kind of moved back to Spokane right before the ward boundaries changed, so we didn't really get a lot of connection in our previous ward. But through no fault of anyone's, we weren't there for very long. Um, so we are happy to to be in a ward long term now, because hopefully they don't have to change the boundaries again for a while, <laughs> uh, unless they did something wonky. But um, yeah, we're excited to be here, and we we are in, introverted people, but we. I'm looking forward to getting to know people and making connections and, and helping each other along the way. So yeah, we're, we're excited. You see, as we sit in the very back because our daughter is very loud. So if you hear loud noises coming from the back of the chapel, that's probably us. (laughs) That's great. All right, Kyle, our favorite question is this, what does being a follower of Christ mean to you? Um, I think it's kind of a culmination of the things that I've talked about. I think one and a follower of Christ, I think one of the, Number one thing that meets me is, is is service and serving others. I think we see that message fairly, not fairly, we extremely consistently through the scriptures that one of the things that Christ valued most through his earthly ministry was serving others, especially those who others don't want to serve. Um, so I think being a follower of Christ is finding ways to serve, whether it's you can't even list all of the service can mean different things to different people at different times in their lives. Um, we were able to give more at certain periods. We're able to give less at others. Um, I certainly was able to give a lot more of my time before I had kids. Um, I could just drop things at a drop of a hat and go and help someone who needed something at that moment. So a lot of my service was that at that point, but now I, I can't do that as much. So my service looks different. Um, but I think, being a follower of Christ is finding ways to serve, even if it's just serving your own family. Um, I think that's something that's often overlooked, but it's certainly a very important form of service. So uh, the number one thing for being a follower of Christ for me is serving others. Um, and two, I think it's um, learning how to extend our own personal grace in the sense that um, Christ has, Christ's grace saves, has, has, is what saves us because we can't get through heaven on our merits on our own. Um, But I think we are oftentimes far more critical of ourselves and critical of others than Christ ever has been or ever will be. Um, So I think, and it's something that I've worked really hard on and need to continue to work on, um, but I think being a follower of Christ is finding a way to to extend that charity that you've gained through serving others, extending it to yourself and extending it to the faults that we see in others. Cause there's a lot of faults that others have. There's a lot of faults that we have. Um, we live in a world that is not, um, it's not tolerant of faults. We expect perfection, whether we say it or not, we get very frustrated as a people when others around us are not perfect. Um, but like president Uchtdorf said at the time when he was in the first presidency that, Imperfect people is all that God has. The other Holland said this, but imperfect people is all that God has ever had to work with, and it must be extremely frustrating for him. <laughs> but he deals with it. Um, so we—that's I—I had that quote kind of in my scriptures for a long time. That I—if God can deal with me being imperfect, I need to learn, figure out how to deal with other people around me doing things that I don't like or I think I would do different, or because like they might not necessarily be wrong. I just would do it differently. Um, I think so. That's the number two thing we bring up. Our crisis is learning how to incorporate grace and in, into our lives in the sense that we are extending it to others and we extend it to ourselves as well. Because I think when we do that, our ability to love others 
increases, our ability to serve others increases, and our ability to feel the spirit increases as well. So those would be the two things for me. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. I'm proud of you, son (laughs) 1.5. So thanks. Thanks a whole bunch and can't wait to see this new little daughter. Yeah, me too. All right. Good night, Kyle. Good night.